You're listening to the One Two Three Show this afternoon with me, Karen Co, on Radio Three. It's ten minutes past two. Since it's Friday afternoon, it is time for our regular agenda cafe, and today we are talking about travel, not just here on Earth. But further, much, much further, we're talking about interplanetary travel, specifically going to Mars. So, sometime in the next few weeks, NASA will launch its rover called Perseverance and uh, a little sidekick helicopter called Ingenuity into space, headed for Mars. And I'm thrilled to be joined by a woman who's dreamed all her life of going to Mars and is seeing some of those dreams come true with this Mars mission. Angelica Angles is an astrophysicist, astrobiologist, planetary scientist, and was part of the team that helped to select a landing site for NASA's Mars rover. So, Angelica, welcome to the program. Thrilled to have you on. Hi, Karen. It's nice to talk to you, and thanks for thanks so much for. For calling me, and you are joining us very much from here on Earth, right? Yes, I'm on Earth <laughs> in Hong Kong, specifically in Hong Kong. I believe on Lama Island <laughs> or Lantau. Oh, Lama Island. Lama Island. Yes. Okay. Lantau. Lantau. Lantau Island. All right. So, Angelica, I mean, when I when you look at your your resume, it's incredibly impressive. You're an, you're an engineer. You have a master's in engineering, a master's in planetary and space science, a PhD in planetary. Exploration, astrobiology, and astrophysics, and a master's in geomatics. I don't even know what geomatics is. But tell us about your background, your story. How did you how did you come to be interested in space science and to achieve all these things? Uh, well, it all started with my grandfather. I was very very young, and he was always talking to me about space and stars. So he used to wake me up very early in the morning to see the sunrise. And since I was a child, then I was interested in in what he was saying. He was always saying that we may not be alone in in the universe. So I was always wondering about that, and I always wanted to I always wanted to prove that what he was saying was right. So since I was very very young, I knew exactly what I was what I was gonna do. And then, uh, well, I started studying, and then up until today, I've been doing the same. <laughs> And it's been a few years. Did you did you find that you obviously have a have a natural um, talent at the the very technical and really quite difficult um, space and engineering subjects? Oh, I, I don't think I have any special talent, but I was very interested about that, and I think that that gives you the motivation to continue. And of course, I found times where it was very challenging because first I was studying in English, which is not my mother. So I had difficulties with the language and also with what I was learning, but I was so enthusiastic about what I was doing that nothing was going to stop me, really. That's amazing. I mean, so you're learning um, very technical subjects in your second language. How did you actually do that? That must be extremely hard. Well, I remember I went, uh, first time I, I studied abroad was in Sweden. And I remember carrying everywhere because at that time we didn't have smartphones or or anything. Right now it's very easy, but at that time I was carrying my dictionary and I, I remember just looking for words and I really wanted to learn English and, and be able to speak. So every word that I heard or that I wanted, I, I, I wrote it down in a little notebook. And then I remember after a few months walking on the street, I heard someone speaking and I understood what they were saying. So I remember that as the moment of, wow, I can speak English now. Um, 
But of course, when you are in a country where you are listening all the time, you're studying the language, you learn fast, right? And exactly. but yeah, yeah, it was not not easy at the beginning. Yeah, because your native <laughs> your native language is Spanish, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And is like, is there space research in Spanish that can help you? That in terms of you know um, looking for references or or uh, just uh, maybe an easier way for you to to access. Well, there is no Spanish space agency. We have the European space agency, uh, but not just for Spain. No. Mm, okay. So you have to gravitate yeah. towards where the research already is. Yeah. Well, I, I knew at that time that my priority was to learn English. I knew that, you know, in order to do this, I had to, because we have to publish papers, we have to go to conferences and everything is in English, right? So uh, at that time, that was my priority and study what I had to study. And and after that, I focused a little bit more through my master's and through my PhD. I focused a little bit on much more on life on Mars and Mars research in general. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so language was one of the first challenges you came across. What about um, the challenge of being a woman in this very male-dominated field? Well, it is true. It's a male-dominated field, but uh, you know what? I always enjoyed... Um, breaking the the mold you know like why not uh, women can do this as equally as men right so I, I actually enjoy very much going to conferences or when I was going to class and maybe be one or two women only and it was, it was satisfying <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah it's, it's definitely a male dominated field did, yeah. did you and, have... and I think sorry Karen I think it's changing a lot mm. I see like in a decade, it's been, I, I've met a lot of girls that are really interested and they are going to start a career in space science. So I don't think it's going to be uh, that huge, the difference between men and women. I mm. think it's going to be much more equal from now on. Mm, that's great. I mean, when you were studying, were you one of very few women in your classes? And, and what kind of feedback or, or maybe not even spoken, just unspoken um, feedback did you get? Yeah, we definitely, I think in my, my first degree, we were only 10 women and the rest of out of 120, mm. all the rest were men. So quite a huge proportion of men. And yeah, a lot of funny comments like, oh, this is not your class or things like that, right? Like you, you made a mistake, You this is, this is a physics class or something like that, right? Where I was like, no, this is my class too. <laughs> <laughs> I belong here. And I belong here. <laughs> did you feel like you had to work extra hard to to prove that you know you can handle the science, you can do the work? Uh, I, not because I was a woman, but yes, I, I think I had to work very, very hard. Especially when I was living in London during my masters, uh, I found it very, very, very hard. Very, I had to study like every day, like Monday to Sunday. Um, so not necessarily to prove that women can do it, but to prove that myself, I could do it. Yeah. Mm. Now we, I mentioned at the top that, um, in a few weeks there, there's a window of opportunity for this, um, Mars mission. Tell, tell us more about Mars 2020. What, what exactly is going to happen? Well, Mars 2020, I think is, the, is one of the most exciting missions ever is, um, uh, so Mars 2020 is a mission, Perseverance is the name of the rover, and it's designed to better understand the geology of Mars and to seek for any signs of past life on Mars. And not just this, but the mission is going to collect 
and store a, a set of rock and soil samples that hopefully will be returned to Earth in a few years. And it's also going to test new technology for the future of human exploration to Mars. Uh, so it's, it's um, the best mission so far that we've had in, in all these years. And it has a lot of instruments, a lot of instrumentation that it has been actually provided by different countries, not just by NASA in the U.S. So Spain, France, Norway, they all collaborated to make all these different instrumentation to, to map the mineralogy, to, to study the atmospheric carbon dioxide, to measure the temperature, the wind speed, the pressure, like anything you can imagine. And additionally to that, it's going to have a lot of new technology, uh, new navigation systems, and uh, it's a lot of new sensors that are going to help with the entry, the descent, the landing. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to really allow the rover to drive much faster in any challenging terrain. And how long has this mission been planned? I mean, how many years has it been in the planning and, and pre preparation? How many years it's been? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I think it was 2014 it was announced. The, the actual plan of the mission, but wow. I really not sure. I mean, of course, these, these missions take a lot of years, right? And mm. when I was involved in the London side, this, this took years, right? Because of course you spend a lot of money in a mission and then you want to choose the best, this best spot. You want to have proper instrumentation that is going to take you there, right? So it takes, it takes time. But, um, yeah, it's been now uh, five or six years, I would say. Wow. Now, tell us about your role in helping to select a landing site, and why is that imp why is that important? Well, imagine you are an alien and you are uh, coming to Earth, and you you have to find life here. It would be very important where you are landing, right? Like imagine you land Antarctica. Right. You would think that the planet is there is no life in the planet, or you you land on a desert, right? So, so choosing the landing site was especially important to know whether life was there. So we wanted to find a place where we knew life was, uh, so the water was there for a few million years. So probably life emerged in that time. It had to be also near the equator, so it's not too cold. Mm -hmm. And there is no ice that can make the rover slippery. So there were a lot of requirements and a lot of good sites. It was extremely difficult to choose one. It was, there were so many, at, at the very last uh, landing site workshop that we had, there were 10, 10 landing sites. From then it was chosen uh, three of them. And then from those three, it was the final one selected. But those 10 final sites, all of them were amazing. Mm -hmm. It was really, really hard to to choose to choose one because the rovers really travel very slowly. It's only about twenty kilometers that that they that they are designed to travel, right? Oh, so really? it's a very very specific part on Mars and you you really want to do it right. So Mars twenty twenty is now to Jezero Crater, which is a delta. Okay. And you know, a delta is like it's collecting all the materials from all over the water was pulling all of that. So scientists believe that really uh, there has to be an answer that was present on Mars. And so tell us about what you had to do um, when you were researching possible landing sites. So um, I, I, I've been for many years studying a Mars analog, which is a 
place here on Mar on Earth that lo looks very similar to Mars, or, or the geological history is very similar to Mars. So the site I was studying is in the mountains of Tibet. So I used these mountains to help me choose a proper place on Mars. So I chose a location that was in that was also um, it was also proposed for the Curiosity rover, which is the previous one. Mm -hmm. And is holding crater. It's a very, very interesting area. It's, it's a crater that was filling with water for a few million years. It's near the equator. It's, it's really an amazing place. And I hope one day we can go there. Uh, but lastly, it was not chosen because the terrain was a little bumpy. So it was not that safe to land, mm. to land there. So maybe in the future when we have better technology, we'll be able to go there. So when you were researching the place in Tibet, which, which has similar conditions, what, what did it involve? What did you have to do apart from go to Tibet? Well, we had to go there. Uh, we had to collect a lot of samples and document everything we were seeing. And then basically I had to analyze all these all this rocks in the laboratory and, and try to find similarities with Mars. Right. So, for example, this place is very cold, it's very dry, it rains very rarely. So the organisms that live there have to be adapted to these extreme conditions. Right. So by studying the survival strategies of these organisms, we can compare and, and think and, and, and speculate whether we could find the same type of life on mm. Mars. Now, when you talk about life on Mars, of course, People think about all the space movies that we've seen and Martians. The green aliens <laughs> with one eye. Exactly, the green aliens yes. or, or that, that funny, hilarious movie of years ago, Mars Attacks, where they came to Earth and yes. destroyed everybody. But what are, we, what are you really talking about when you're, you're thinking about life on Mars? Yes, <laughs> we're not looking for green aliens. We're looking for microbial life. And... Um, you are looking for ancient life, life that existed before. So Mars, a few billion years ago, was very similar to Earth. It had liquid water. It had an atmosphere, right? So it had the perfect conditions for life to emerge and to survive. But for, you know, we it's, it's kind of hard to find an evidence of ancient life if we are not there. So if we find life on Mars today, it will have to be covered the surface or in caves protected from the outside environment. So definitely it's going to be microbial life or, um, or we could find biominerals, which are minerals that were exposed to life. So they are minerals, not life as themselves, but they had to be formed by the presence of life. So that's also an indication. So it's all very, very tiny. And that's why it's hard because these rovers, although they are amazing and they have these uh, internal laboratories, is limited compared to what humans can do, right? Mm. So that's why this mission is very important because it's going to hopefully bring samples back in maybe five or six years. And, you know, having the actual rocks, it will be much easier here to, right. so, to analyze. So this mission is just going to bring back samples there are no humans going but if if it's successful does it pave the way for humans to actually go to explore mars yes so actually this is this uh, mission is going to test new technology to to benefit for the future robotic and human exploration of mars of course human exploration of mars is not something that is going to happen 
in the next couple of years. I think it would take a decade. But, uh, you know, all these things take a lot of time. And these these rovers has uh, a lot of new technology to benefit from that. Now, when you say that you, you, you know, most scientists um, in your field do believe that there was life on Mars, how long ago are we talking about? And what do you think happened to it? Well, um, the conditions on Mars were propitious for life to exist. And maybe if you go back decades ago, uh, it was not that believed because, and uh, let me tell you an example. For example, when scientists went to Antarctica, they thought there is no life here. There is absolutely nothing, right? But actually we know now that there is a lot of life in the ice seeds, like uh, life that adapts to the specific conditions, right? Same with life on deserts, in the highest deserts on Earth or in the driest deserts on Earth, still we find life. So we know that the range of of capabilities that life can support are, are huge. Well, like it can be huge changes of temperature, high, high, um, uh, a lot of radiation, uh, dryness, uh, no water for for years, right? So we know that life, as as we know it on Earth, is is capable of doing that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So then uh, we think, well, you know, I mean, of course, the conditions on Mars are not exactly the same as on Earth. But, you know, in some places in the equator, in a hot summer day, you can be at 27, 27 degrees. So, you know, the temperature is similar to Earth. And, of course, not everything is the same, but life could be adapted to those conditions, right? And especially now that we know that liquid water was there and water is still there, not in the form of liquid water on the surface, but we know that water is there, you know. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> it would be really exciting to find it. I mean, do you think this... That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, wh- how how long are we talking about is obviously not, maybe not within our lifetime or my lifetime, definitely. Uh, how long are we talking about to find it? Well, to, for, do you think before humans could actually go to Mars? No, I think I think in a decade really? or, or so we can... That's well, fast. That's fast. Uh, well, you know, Elon Musk on SpaceX is really, really pushing it to, to, to start humans to, humans to Mars in, in 2030. Uh, there is also a few, several projects that are independent projects, not belong to NASA or anything that, um, that want to send people to Mars one way to colonize Mars. And uh, believe it or not, thousands of people apply for that. It's absolutely, <laughs> absolutely crazy. Like thousands of people apply. They just want to be the first arriving to Mars to colonize the place and everything. Um, I don't know. I think uh, it's, it's a very exciting times. So I think the next decades are going to see a lot of action okay. in Mars exploration. Because if we're going to send humans to Mars, we have to send some facilities first. So yeah. it's, it's going to be so exciting. And I hope it's in our lifetimes. <laughs> Yeah, Angelica, hold that thought there. We're just going to break for the 2.30 news, but we'll come back in a few minutes and and talk more about uh, Mars exploration. You're listening to The 123 Show this afternoon with me, Karen Coe. We are on the Agenda Cafe and we're talking with Angelica Angles, who's an astrophysicist, astrobiologist, and was part of the team 
that helped to select a landing site for NASA's Mars rover for Mars 2020. So, Angelica, before the news and the song, we, you were talking about how so many people uh, wanted want to go to Mars uh, on on this um, on this possible human mission. What what do you think is behind this human fascination with Mars in particular? Well, uh, if uh, right now is Mars, uh, but uh, you know, in the sixties and the seventies was uh, the Moon. So right now, Mars is the closest and the easiest planet that we have to explore. In the future, will be other moons, Europa, Titan, even other planets, like Pluto, right? But at the moment, with the technology we have, Mars is the best chance we have to actually do some space travel. Like I'm talking for humans. So it's not just that, but people are really fascinated with the idea of Mars, right? Like even uh, scientists from last century were fascinated with the idea of Mars. And there are million books written about the, the mysteries of maybe there was life on Mars. And I guess some people are also uh, fascinated with the idea of fame, of being the first ones. But I think it's, it's really in our DNA to be explorers, right? Like we, we want to explore. We want to know what is out there. And we were exploring before different things. We knew there was water, so we found it. And now that we know that all the ingredients are there, it's absolutely the next step. Like we have to go to Mars and see whether life was or is there now. Mm. And you talked earlier about the what you expect to find in terms of life is micro- microbial life. What about intelligent life? I mean, actual <laughs> creatures. Is there intelligent life out there? I mean, many scientists and, and astrobiologists believe there is. We are just well, not intelligent enough to find them. Exactly. So we, I mean, of course, we don't know for sure. But in my my idea is that, you know, here on Earth, there is life everywhere, like in the deepest ocean, in clouds, in the eye, in between the eyes and deserts, right? So there is life everywhere. So it seems that with the right conditions, life, life adapts pretty quickly, no? So mm-hmm. I... And also, if you consider how huge is the universe, just the visible universe, what we think is there, it would take you billions of years to cross from one side to the other. Imagine how many galaxies, how many solar systems, how many planets. Like every day there are new planetary systems that are discovered, systems that have a central star and are at the right distance from the sun, from the from the central star. So, so they are in the habitable zone that is called. There are a lot of these planets, second Earths, that are cold, but they are too far, right? We cannot we cannot go in person and test that. So, you know, when you consider how huge is the universe, it seems a little bit uh, silly to think that we may be the only ones, right? Mm. Yeah, but, it seems a bit arrogant. I mean, it seems a bit arrogant. Like we are, the, but again, we cannot we cannot prove it hundred percent, right? Because we haven't. We haven't seen it. We haven't proved. We have, don't have any proof of it. But yeah, I would say yes. Now, intelligence life—that's another thing, right? Mm. I think microbial life must be everywhere, everywhere in the universe. Intelligence life that has been able to survive and adapt and and have a, a much more advanced civilization than ours, maybe. You know, again, most uh, many people say yes. Uh, many people have seen flying saucers. I've never seen any, mm-hmm. and I would love to. I would love to see one. 
Like sometimes I'm like, come on, so up, and I, you know, that would be like a real proof to me. But I, I don't know. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Now, Angelica, one of the other things you did uh, just last year is you gave a TEDx talk about yourself, your career, and your curiosity about space. Tell tell us about that experience. Yes, <laughs> it was the TEDx uh, Tin Hao Women here in Hong Kong, and. Um, to be honest, I had no idea the impact it was going to have. I thought, yes, sure, I'll do the talk. And it was an amazing experience. But even up until today, I still receive messages and, and emails from people that saying that they were so inspired about my talk. And that led to a lot of magazine interviews, photo shoots for, for newspapers. And it's been amazing. I, I'm, I'm like so um, surprised that it was like that it was it was fantastic like i i really had such a great time well i think yes. w- one of the things that was really great about it is that you, you know you really are now a role model for young girls who would love to follow in your footsteps who want to pursue those um stem subjects and now feel like oh it's possible that that i can mm. i can do this Yes, and I actually been uh, contacted by a few mothers that tell me that the, their daughters have seen my video and they are now really interested in in pursuing a science career. And I've been invited to several schools to give talks. Now, because of the virus, is everything is on hold. Mm. But but yeah, I, and I'm always very happy to do that. It's really satisfying when a girl or or even boys, not just not just girls, but they come to me and they are like, oh, you know, that's exactly what I want to do. It's so nice to see that someone actually did it. So then, it feels like they are free to go. And what would be your message to to young boys and girls? But I guess girls in particular, because girls, you know, usually start out in school taking some of these science subjects and then maybe even through university, but then they, they tend to drop out of the workforce. Yeah. Yes. Well, especially now that is, uh, is the next years are going to be so exciting in Mars exploration. If my message would be, if you're really, really enthusiastic about it, if you really want to do it, don't give up. There's going to be people that are going to tell you that you're not good, good enough or that it's very hard or, or that you cannot do it or blah, blah, blah. But, you know, like there's always a way, maybe not immediately, but you will find a way. And it's so satisfying to see after a few years, like, oh, thank, thank goodness I didn't give up, you know. Mm. So that would be my message. Don't, don't ever give up and don't listen to people. Like I, I heard a lot of times oh, you're not good enough, or we don't have money to pay you, or um, your idea is not good for research. Lots of times, lots of times. Mm, So you just keep going. Keep going. And yes, sometimes, you know, you have to wait a little bit and and maybe find a different way. But if your final goal is to do that, eventually you will get there. And did you have any, any role models when you were doing your studies? Oh, well, my grandfather has been always my role model. He he was not an astronomer. He was a chemist, but he was always uh, very interested in that. Like, And uh, he died when I was still a, a young girl. But I remember being with him, having dinner, and he would suddenly have a great idea, and he would write it in a... In a, in a paper napkin. He would write <sighs> the idea, because later he was going to research about that. You know, like, someone that was so enthusiastic that it never stopped 
didn't matter what I've loved for someone else for him that was his whole life and it's been with me my whole life to be to be like that and I'm I'm I hope he would be very proud if he was still alive. I'm sure he is, or he would be, yes. And the other thing I think is really interesting is um, you are also a concert pianist. And in the interview I did earlier, we were talking about food security and and science, but my guest, Dr. Daisy Tan, said, you know, the arts are really important too. So, you know, do you find that having that artistic, you know, creative side is important to you as a scientist as well? Well, I, I think it has helped me a lot because when you do research, you have to be very creative because when you do research, you are doing something that nobody has done before. So sometimes you get stuck in a topic. You don't know how to continue. But, you know, if you have that artistic side of you, you can maybe say, you know what, I'm going to go around and do it in a different way. So I, I, that's what I felt with me, that it it really helped. And and I really love to, to put together uh, music in this case piano and mars exploration like you know it's two things that initially people would think oh they have nothing to do with each other but actually they do right and and sometimes i play music that i call for mars exploration and it really it really you really can imagine a rover landing on mars and exploring for life you know like music has a, a lot of power Mm, yes, power to, to give people ideas and, and to have yes. that creativity. Yeah. Yes. Well, Angelica, it's amazing. Now, if people want to um, reach out to you or get to know you better, do you have a website or is there a way that they can, can uh, talk to you? Yes, I have a website. Uh, it's called uh, Angelica Angles. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's uh, easy. In there, I have a, yeah, in there I have a blog. It's called My Vintage Cosmos. And I named it like that because vintage, I thought, you know, I have a lot of books from my grandfather that were very, very old, but they were all talking about maybe one day we'll go to the moon and things like that. But so that that was the 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 starting for me, like vintage and then cosmos, because I I thought I just don't want to cover Mars. I I want to, to cover the whole cosmos. So it's called my vintage cosmos. And then um, I put a lot of content as well on Instagram. Again, it's Angelica Angles. Okay. Um, yeah, so so if someone wants to reach out, send me an email through my website or through Instagram or whatever, and I always try to reply soon. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, Angelica, thank you so much for your time today. It's great, been great talking to you on the Agenda Cafe and learning all about Mars exploration. Thank you, Karen, for inviting me, and uh, looking forward to seeing you next time. Yes, and of course, good luck with the, the Mars uh, 2020 launch. Yes, it's in a couple of weeks, so hopefully it will it will not rain. The weather will be behaving, so it will be easy and smooth. <laughs> Fantastic! Thanks again, Angelica. And we've been speaking with Angelica Anglaise, who is an astrophysicist, astrobiologist, um, and was part of the team helping to select a landing site for NASA's Mars rover.